You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. In the fall each year we all congregate The bounce all gathered at the church of Pilgrim The scriptures reading from the book of Monson Our favorite verse, my God, a precious Drunk and obnoxious, what Georgia fame Ain't nothing finer in the lane Now the 3,000 of our best friends It's Saturday in that thing Welcome to the Saturday in Athens podcast. I'm your host, Herschel Gurley, here as always with my co-host, Boss Dog. Boss, bark at the people. Welcome back, everyone. Today we have our first repeat guest, uh, The Athletics' Seth Emerson. We're going to talk a little bit about his book and a little bit about the upcoming season. Yeah, great to have Seth back on the show as our first repeat visitor. I think it's well known how much we we love Seth's work on The Athletic. And, um, you know, first thing I read when I get out to bed in the morning and drink my coffee. So I was jacked up when I heard that, that he was releasing his book and um, was thrilled that he came on to talk about it. And I have officially finished the book now uh, and loved it. Could, could not recommend it enough for dogs fans. If I was giving two book recommendations for dogs fans for 2020, if you're trying to, you know, make time go a little bit quicker between now and the start of the season. It would be Seth's Attack the Day uh, and Trevor Moad's It Takes What It Takes. Uh, both just have a lot of awesome behind-the-scenes stories uh, about dogs football and kind of lay out the culture. And I'll tell you what I love about Seth's book is I really enjoy kind of hearing about the mechanics of why something works or how something's been built. And uh, I think he does a great job in this. Uh, and he alludes to a lot of that in the interview. So um, if you aren't already, go ahead and follow him on Twitter at Seth W. Emerson. That's at Seth W. Emerson. Um, and then obviously, if you're not subscribed to The Athletic, I don't know what you're doing, guys. Like, get on it. You're missing Seth's stuff. It's awesome. Uh, and go out and buy the book, Attack the Day. You can buy it anywhere that you buy books online, uh, or you can go to your local bookstore or to any of the big box chains as well. So here is our interview with Attack the Day author, Seth Emerson. We are joined today by our first repeat guest, uh, the athletic Seth Emerson. Seth, thanks for coming back and talking with us. Big week for you coming up on the 1st of September is the official release of Attack the Day, Kirby Smart and Georgia's Return to Glory, uh, Seth's book about this four-year stretch under Coach Smart. Seth, welcome back to the program. Thanks for having me on, Seth. 
So I guess to start, just tell us a little bit about the genesis of the book. You know, when when did the idea start and, and how long has it been writing it, putting it together and getting it ready for, for publishing? Yeah, well, it wasn't my idea. I didn't even say yes the first time um, they came to me. Uh, they, they came to me during the 2018 season, and this was following, it was actually early in the 2018 season, and it was following the 2017 run, and they kind of wanted to do a, a book, and, and she had seen from afar what had happened with Georgia and Kirby Smart, and thought it was a good book, and there'd be a lot of interest in it, and I told them, I think so too, but um, I'm not sure I could turn it around very quickly, so... They, they agreed to give it a little bit more time, and, and I ended up spending a lot of the next year working on it, and a lot of it is, obviously, I, I cover the program as a full-time job on a day-to-day basis, so a lot of it is drawing on things I've been able to see on my own, um, but I, I decided when I was going to write this book that I, I wasn't going to just do it based on things I'd already seen or things I would see. Uh, and just make it kind of about me and, and things that have already been written and everything and just repackaged in, into one book, which I think in and itself it might have been interesting. But I went back and I, I talked to players, staff members, people who have been around the program for the last several years and from the transition to Mark Rick to Kirby Smart. And, and I think there's a lot of cool insight in it. I think there's a lot of stuff from players, former players like Aaron Davis, Jeff Blazevich, Jonathan Ledbetter, Davin Bellamy, Shane Beamer, former assistant coach, obviously here, spent a lot of time on the phone with me. I talked to Kevin Butler. I talked to just a lot of people and then just kind of some people that I've known through the years off the record. And and, and there's a lot of insight in there that stuff that I didn't know, even covering the team on a day-to-day basis. And, and then it's repackaged as a Essentially, I think it's a story about the Georgia football program over the last five years, and 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 I think it's a good story, and hopefully, I didn't screw it up. Well, I'm sure you didn't. For all of us that are that are dogs fans, we obviously follow your work on the Athletic, uh, and before that with the AJC, and obviously, it's always been great work. And I was going to tell if, if folks haven't haven't read it yet, Seth released an excerpt of the book uh, on the Athletic this week, and it discusses Kirby's first meeting with his coaching staff. Um, and if the rest of the book is as good as that was, it's going to be fantastic. So I'm excited to see that. What were, were there stories that you were surprised to hear as you researched this and put it together, or was was most of what you what you found out par for the course of what you had expected? I think the overall impression that I already had of Kirby Smart and things he had done to build the program in his own image was reinforced. But a lot of the the little stuff, a lot of the stories within that were surprising and were good things. Um, There's stuff in there on the Rodrigo Blankenship situation. Uh, Shane Beamer and Kevin Butler obviously were, were in the middle of it. And so they imparted some some thoughts on what was happening there and I think it, it spoke to the very pragmatic kind of patient side of Kirby Smart and how he played that and how it ended up working out for everybody in the end. Um, Jonathan Ledbetter talked to me about basically the, the human side of, of Kirby Smart, the humanity there, um, dealing with his situation. And, and obviously if, if Ledbetter wasn't such a good player, um, 
you know, maybe it would have been a little bit harder for Kirby Smart or any coach to have that much patience with him and work with him in that. But um, Jonathan shared with me some stuff that I don't think he's quite shared publicly uh, about his own situation, how he went there. But then there's a lot of kind of funny stuff. I, I don't want to scoop myself. I want people to buy the book, obviously. But um, I heard some stuff about 2015 and where things went awry there that were a little new to me. I think a lot of people paint it mainly on Brian Schottenheimer on the offense and and some former players without absolving Brian Schottenheimer pointed in, in another direction too, um, which you'll see there. I, I, there's a funny story that Shane Beamer tells about Kirby Smart about the national championship game and the lead up to it. I don't want to share it. I don't know if, you know, read the book, but I don't know if other people will find it as funny as I did, but I, I found it hilarious. So did Shane Beamer. Um, and then there's, I, I know people are not going to want to read the chapter, and it's only one chapter on the national championship game against Alabama. Um, but there's stuff in there that I, I think is interesting to people when you talk to Blazevich and Bellamy about what went wrong there. And uh, that's stuff that they haven't said, like details about that. So there's a lot of this stuff in there like that, that that I learned as I was researching the book and, and writing it. And I, I hope it's interesting to fans as well. Yeah. So this is your first book that you've written. Is that correct? Okay, and what was what what's that what's that process like compared to what you're doing on a day to day basis when you're covering the team? Is it is it just more research heavy? What was that process like for you preparing this and getting it ready to go out? Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's so different. Um, it's like writing in a lot of ways. I guess there were twenty or there's around twenty chapters uh, counting the prologue and everything um and I, I think there might have been a short epilogue or but uh each chapter is not exactly but in the range of like three thousand words the average story that i write for the athletic is going to be around a thousand words and if i write a deep down involved story like last summer for instance i wrote the story about valdosta state being this cradle of coaches and this was this big deep dive story that was really successful it was around like 3,000 words, I want to say, maybe a little under. So writing a book, you're writing about 20 of those. <laughs> um, but you're, you're trying to make them all connect. So I, it, it, what was easy for me to do, and I don't know if people enjoy me kind of getting in the weeds here about writing a book, but it, what, the easiest thing for me to do was to be organized about it and say, all right, so I'm going to write about this story and I'm going to start here. And so I decided essentially I was going to start with the 2015 season. But then I said, I'm going to go back a little bit more. I'm going to do a kind of a short biography of Kirby Smart, which I think is the, the first chapter after Matt Stinchcomb's foreword and the prologue, which you uh, referenced, which already the excerpt that ran in the athletic on Sunday. Um, and so I start, with, let's say, you start with Kirby Smart, Chapter 1, his background, and it leads into 2015. 2015 gets its own chapter, and then obviously go forward, Kirby Smart being hired. And there's some background on kind of how the movers and shakers did that, and a, a person who I think is 
more responsible for it than than people on you know people know, and that's Mike Cavan. Um, that he might be when all is said and done the kind of the linchpin for a lot of this for having the, the Kirby smart hire happen. Um, and I, I write about that in there too. Um, and then you just kind of go forward and say that these are the, the time periods that you want to address. And I, I didn't want this to be full of game stories. This is not a, a book where it's going to be like, all right, now we're going to write about, this 2016 game against Georgia Tech. We're going to write about the Vanderbilt game. We're going to write about, um, and when we get into 2017, we're going to have, you know, a, a, a page or a certain amount of pages on each of these games. Now, people don't want to read game stories. They've seen the games. They want to know what was going into these games. They want to know what was going on off the field. And, and that's what it ended up being. It, hopefully, it's the, and, and if there's detail in games, like, yeah, there's an entire chapter about the Notre Dame game. 2017 because it's that important but i'm not going like quarter by quarter and saying this happened in drive by drive it's things like um the the lead into it what the players thought when they went out there of the tunnel and, and saw all the, the the fans there um there's davin bell and me talking about what it was like to make the the game clinching sack and force fumble um it, it, it's stuff like that and and I, I ended up doing all these interviews, and then you kind of say, all right, that goes in this chapter, that goes in this chapter, and then you try to weave it together. Um, I mean, it was a big undertaking, but it, it it was, in retrospect, a little bit easier than I might have imagined. Well, that kind of leads into my next question, and you, you answered it a little bit, but it, my question was going to be, from the book's perspective, it seems like this is going to be a more layered 360 degree view of Kirby Smart, not just the head football coach of the University of Georgia, um, but but the man behind the visor, essentially, and the, yeah. the, the genesis of what he's become. Is that right? Yeah, it's, it's not a biography of Kirby Smart. I mean, Kirby, when you know he wants to, is going to write his own biography. Um, or maybe get help from somebody <laughs> down the line. <laughs> this is not a biography of Kirby Smart. I mean, it touches on it. You learn a lot about him, and hopefully there's enough in here that someday when Kirby does write an autobiography or has someone write a biography, they reference a lot of stuff in this story. But this is a story about the last five years of Georgia football, in my mind. Um, the 2018 and 2019 seasons are addressed as well. They're, they're in there, um, and we you know, we, we go up, we kept updating as things happened. But luckily, the actual publication of the physical book was late enough that we could update it with Todd Munkin, with Scott Cochran. Um, I think we even got, might have gotten JT Daniels in there. Uh, definitely got Jamie Newman in there um, as just kind of referencing it, not like, you know, going deep down into it or whatever. But um, there, it, it's updated up through like we I don't think we mentioned the pandemic which I think will be a relief to a lot of people (laughs) whether or not there are football games starting September 26th that you can get this book and you can read about the last five years of Georgia football and Kirby Smart is I think the key figure involved in that so yes there's there's a lot about him but there's a lot about everybody else involved with it too 
Well, we are, we're fired up to read it. I, I think I had emailed with you. I, I, we pre-ordered it uh, a couple months back and we're supposed to get our copy September 1. I think, you know, like we've said many times uh, on our air and when we've spoken with you, we think you do a phenomenal job. Just a, not just a great at the content, all those things, but, but I think you're, you're a very talented writer as well. So we're excited for the book and hope it, hope it flies off the shelves. Can you tell our listeners everywhere that they can get it? try um i'm not great at the selling part of it uh, <laughs> it's it is available pre-order on amazon um i think you just go there and do that i, I um there's if you actually go to the excerpt that ran in the athletic at the top of it they list everywhere that it should run and uh, i think you can just probably triumph books does you can direct order them I think on their website, but Triumph Books is a very organized professional publishing company. So if you Google Attack the Day and Seth Emerson, um, all the options will come up. Okay, perfect. And what we'll do too for our listeners, we'll list all uh, links in our show notes so that if y'all want to go uh, pre-order anywhere or if you want to see the different locations where you can get Attack the Day, Seth's new book releasing on September 1st, you can t- go do that. So you spoke a little bit to the pandemic and the things that have changed. We originally had you on our show back in February uh, before the world got turned upside down. How um, how nice has it been over the last couple weeks to get to report on football for a change <laughs> it's been a relief it's been nice i don't know if uh i mean you, you try to avoid the elephant in the room when you're writing about it it, it it's hard to sometimes but it, it, it's been I, I my editor and i have joked about it uh several times like hey i just filed this story and we didn't mention COVID again how many straight stories is that, that we've done that we haven't done that <laughs> um and we're, I guess we're just kind of enjoying it while it goes, uh, realizing that it could change in a, you know, it, it, it seems like still day to day or like hour by hour or tweet by tweet. There's like good news, bad news, and it, it ebbs and it flows. It, it does definitely seem like the SEC and the Big 12 and the ACC to a slightly lesser extent are determined to do this. So that's good in that sense, but events can always overtake you. And so I'm just writing stories. I'm hoping that I'm getting in a car September 25th and starting the long drive to Arkansas because I'm not allowed to fly, uh, prohibited by life restrictions. Yep. Um, so actually I'd probably leave Thursday now that I think about it. So September 24th, I'm hoping that happens, but I haven't reserved any hotel rooms yet. I'm just kind of trying not to jinx it. Yeah, we get that. We, we've talked the last couple episodes that we've put out about just trying to live in the moment with this and enjoy the, the possibility and not get too caught up in, you know, if it'll actually happen, but just kind of rolling with it as it comes, which I think is the boat that we're all all in right now. Um, and everybody's hopeful for the 26th and hoping things move forward. What were your thoughts on the 10 game SEC schedule? And do you think based on its success or based on how much people enjoy it, do you think there's any hope for that continuing down the road, or do you think this is truly a, a one-shot thing? I tend to think it's a one-shot thing. Let's see how it goes. Um, the the thing that people forget, it, two things. In terms of the playoff, it is going to make it harder if in future years everybody is playing 10 games 
or you know, or, or SEC teams are playing ten games and having more risk of losses, but some other leagues aren't. Um, so you, you've got to see if they'll get everyone on the same page for something like that. Number two, I, I think what people forget about is the, the home game factor. Um, SEC schools really do. The reason that the SEC has clung to the eight game schedule while other conferences have gone to more and have kind of pointed a finger at the ACC and SEC and said, what are you doing? You're only eight games, blah, blah, blah. Is the SEC, to a lesser extent, the ACC turn around and say, because we sell out every home game, we can schedule East Tennessee State and sell out. And why would we give up that gate? Why would we give up that amount of money that goes into the local economy every time we play at home? And the more conference games you play, the less opportunity to do that because every conference game obviously is a is a road game for somebody, or right. sometimes both when it's Georgia and Florida. So they're they're not going to give that up easily. I mean, because if for instance, if Georgia has all these non conference power games planned for down the line, don't forget they've got. In some years, because of the way Kirby and Josh Lee, as operations guy, have scheduled, they've got three of those Power Five non-conference games in some years. They, whether it's Texas, Florida State, plus Georgia Tech, unless they go to a thirteen-game schedule, they can't play all three of those games and play a ten-game right. SEC schedule. Right. And you're also not going to be scheduling the likes of East Tennessee State and Murray State, and you know the, the Sun Belt schools and. Something else that I think may figure into this too is you mentioned the Sun Belt, but also Conference USA and um, slipping my mind. Who else? What's the other group of five program that's playing this year? But you know, the Sun Belt is rather attached to the SEC. Like they work together on a lot of stuff. Right. If the you know the Sun Belt wants the SEC to help them. Those games are a lot of money for the Sunbelt schools, the East Tennessee states of the world, these FCS programs. And they're going to take a huge financial hit this year with those games off the table. And I, I, there is, I think, a real sense, if you talk to SEC people, that they don't want to just abandon the smaller schools. I mean, a lot of those SEC people used to work for those smaller schools, and they understand how necessary that money is. So I, I'm, I'm not sure those are just going to easily go away. The, the one thing that could change is if you do go through this 10-game schedule this year and everyone just decides it's really great uh, and they want to continue it. But I'm I'm skeptical at the moment. Well, I'm glad you bring up the economic piece of it, and I think you do a good job of weaving that into these discussions. And I, and I think it's extremely relevant as it pertains to the 2020 campaign because, to your point, Georgia is losing X amount of home games because of the accommodations everybody is making to try and make this work under these unique circumstances. Um, but you're an Athens resident. Um, you're, you're aware of what those weekends mean for the businesses in the community. I guess, w- what are your expectations for what game day weekends will look like in Athens in 2020? And are there conversations being had at the micro and macro level about how those businesses can be supported or how those business businesses can be integrated into 2020 game weekends. Yeah, I, I tend to think that 
there's a lot of, I, I think people understand that it's just, it's going to be a big financial hit no matter what. It's still a question of how much a financial hit. The first home game is until, I think it's October 3rd, the first Saturday in October. I think that's Auburn. Right. And I, I sense there's probably still some hope behind the scenes that things will be good enough that you, I mean, they've announced they're going to have, I guess it ends up being around 20 to 25,000 in the stands. Um, they've announced 20 to 25%. There's a lot of skepticism that that'll actually happen. Yeah. I, I am skeptical as well, but if people do the right thing over the next few weeks, maybe that can happen. And so those 20,000 or so folks are going to be there and spend money in restaurants and bars, although bars are not a great idea at the moment. Um, I think there's just a hope that they can still safely have people in town, but let's also face it. Like people are going to come no matter what. And there, there's going to be people that are going to stay away because they don't feel safe. There's going to be people that are going to come because they, they don't care. They, they want to be near their dogs. And, um, it, it's, I, I, I'll be very curious what the first Saturday in October looks like around here, assuming there is a game. I mean, it, it's Auburn. It's a big deal. I don't, I don't think it's going to be a ghost town. Uh, I, I think there's, if that game happens, I still think there's going to be a lot of people in town, even if they're not getting into the game. Yeah, I would tend to agree with that. Uh, Boss and I've talked about this our last couple of episodes about, you know, wh- I think so- for some folks, and especially in the South, the tailgating and game day weekends are part of the rhythm of their year. You know, it's no different than going to the beach in the summertime. And I'm very interested to see how people will maneuver that. And to your point, I think you're right. I think some folks will stay away because they're not comfortable, but I think others will just come because they want to be there. They want to feel it. They want to be around it. And um, it, it's just going to be, uh, I think, fascinating to see how all that materializes because there's so many little shock points outside of the actual game itself, uh, which goes back to the point about it being, it's just such an economic engine and, and such a driver for, for so many things. Um, I want to kind of pivot off that and ask you if you have heard anything about what the, I guess testing procedures will look like and what those mechanics will be. I know the SEC announced they'll have three tests during the week, but didn't know with the things coming out of the NFL with the number of false positives and things of that nature, if the SEC is, is constantly looking at that or, or where they're where they're headed with those protocols. Well, they're going to do third-party testing, and they're going to do those three times a week, including a Friday. Uh, this is a game week rapid test. Uh, assuming they can get it available. And, um, you know, I mean, they're, again, first game is until September 26th, which is a month from when we're talking right now. And everything seems to accelerate. This is a novel coronavirus, obviously. So this is the first time. And, and so the testing capabilities may have improved a lot between now and the next three weeks. Uh, we can only hope that, but they, uh, that, that's what their plan is. And they, the SEC feels confident. Like, I think one of the things I always heard was that it, it seems like there is a have and have nots, like with the PAC 12 particularly didn't feel like they could test. They had the resources, a lot of their programs to test the way that they felt like they needed to. The SEC has been pretty bullish the whole time about feeling like they can. So 
Um, we'll see, but they've been confident from the start that they can they can test three times a week, and that's their plan. So I want to talk to you about this 2020 team, and I think this was a common theme in a lot of the things that you wrote about the 2017 team was about the strong leadership group that was present on that team. And it seems to be uh, with the early sound bites from Coach Smart and from some others uh, on the coaching staff that there is a pretty cohesive uh, and strong leadership group on this team. Uh, do you feel that way also? And, and, and do you think that bodes well for, for how things will shake out if, if 2020 moves forward as scheduled? Well, I mean, I think it's easier to say that on the defensive side of the ball since they've been through this already. They, they lost so few guys. I mean, they have to replace J.R. Reed, who was a leader. Um, on you know, Tay Crowder was kind of more of a quiet guy, but he was a you know, leader in his own way. But Nicobe Dean comes up behind him. Um, but the, the core of that defense is back. Um, the bigger deal is what they're going to do on offense and, and how that comes together in terms of the chemistry and the leadership. And I'm not sure you can say right now. It's, it's way too early. Uh, maybe they've been bonded a little bit by everything that's happened. Maybe in a weird way, having to zoom with each other for three months and then being coming back together in June has, has helped over the last couple of months, but it, there's really no way for sure at this point to say. Yeah. I thought it was interesting during coach Munkin's uh, press conference that he specifically mentioned Karis Jackson and, and his, his name had come up uh, in, in a couple of Kirby's zoom calls and chats about how he has been very active from a leadership perspective. And he just seems like a guy that, that may come out of nowhere. Well, you say come out of nowhere. He got injured last year, kind of got stunted from that perspective. I mean, he started the Vanderbilt game, but seems like a guy who could be a name to look out for as the 2020 season starts out. And certainly you hope that he is with, with Dominic Blaylock still coming back from injury and, and things of that nature. But, but from a group like that, that is trying to replace so much and trying to fill in a gap, that was the supposed weak spot of that offense last year. Do you think he's someone that could turn some heads this year? Yeah. I mean, they weren't the supposed weak spot. They were um, for mainly attrition reasons and injuries, but um, they, uh, yeah, he's, he's, Kyrus Jackson's a guy. I mean, they're, they're putting him out there as a – he was one of the guys that was available uh, to the media the first night to kind of preview the preseason, which usually that's an indication that they think that a guy is they, – they are comfortable with him being a spokesman for the team. He's also a member of the leadership council with the SECs, like Georgia's player rep on that. So, he, you know, that, that doesn't equate to he's going to – automatically when he gets on the field, like being all SEC type receiver. But uh, Todd Munkin did say that like one thing he's looking for is consistency, like being consistently good. And he mentioned Kyrus Jackson doing that. And so that's, that's a good sign going forward for him. Yeah. I, I I'm very interested to see, just seems like, uh, you know, good kid, hard worker. And so you hope that, that he has a, a breakout year and, and continues to hold that leadership role. Well, Seth, we, we certainly appreciate you spending time with us. Uh, always welcome on the program, as you know. Uh, guys, please go out and buy uh, Seth's new book, Attack the Day, Kirby Smart and George's Return to Glory, releasing on September 1st. Uh, so next week, you can go pre-order it now, anywhere you can pre-order online. And in September 1, you can go to Barnes & Noble, stores of that nature, and pick up your copy. 
Uh, but Seth, we are looking forward to reading it. Love and support your work. Guys, go please um, follow Seth on Twitter uh, and make sure and be reading his articles every day on The Athletic puts out the best dog content out there. So thank you so much, Seth. Thank you so much for letting me uh, pin for my book, which let me be clear. I don't, I, I don't, I mean, I'm not saying I'm going to turn down money, but like my wife and I are not planning a major addition on the house based on some of books. That's not why I wrote this book. It wasn't <laughs> to make a lot of money. I think that's why Tribe Books wanted to write the book or have me write it. But I'm, I, I just did it to be able to say I wrote a book and I hope to do it well. And I, 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 I think it turned out well and I hope people feel the same. Well, if, if your track record and the stuff you put out is any indication, there's no doubt that it'll be fantastic. So we will, uh, we, we hope everybody buys enough that you can put the addition on the house, brother. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, uh, I, I'm not banking on it. <laughs> well, we will look. Everything else I make on this goes to the kids' college savings. Yeah. Well, hey, that's, that's a worthwhile cause. That's, that's something we can all get behind. So we're, we're all for that. Well, we hope you were in Fayetteville on 926 and we hope we're all watching. Uh, and, and we'll look forward to seeing all the content that you put out between now and then. All right. Thank you so much. All right. Thank you, Seth. Take care. That wraps things up with Seth, boss. What were your thoughts? Another stellar interview with Seth. Um, I love just how he can, first of all, I, I'm not finished with the book yet, but I'm about halfway through and stellar read so far. And I love how he can talk about it and not give too much away, but give you so much that you wanted to, you wanted to just dive right into it and how he really talks about how it's not just a regurgitation of weeks upon weeks, especially with the 17th season, how it's really just kind of the building of the program and the changing of the identity and also kind of talks about a lot of behind the scenes of the 15th season. Um, and he gives you that taste that it's not all what we think all about, uh, about Brian Schottenheimer and, you know, dog fans love to throw him under the bus, but you know, once you get, once you read about it and it's like, it's like, Oh, Okay, it's there's a lot there that you don't really you, you just don't know about. And also, I love the fact that a lot of his research involved a lot of the players that were really popular players, but they're not the heralded superstars, so to speak. Uh, they were during that season, but they're not the big names in the NFL or anything like that. They're not the, you know, the Nick Chubbs, the Sony Michelle's players like that. So um, but all in all. Great interview. And I also love the fact that, you know, he's just like us when it comes to, you know, the this particular upcoming season. Just he's happy to have football to write about, just like we're happy to have football to talk about, regardless of whether there is a season or not a season. We're just happy to have it to talk about and we're just enjoying it right now, regardless of what happens on September 26th. We hope that they're in Fayetteville. He hopes to be driving to Fayetteville, as he said on Thursday, because he's not allowed to fly, which I thought was great. But it, it's just we're just living in the moment and happy to talk about it, which I thought was great. And I hope that we get to talk to him again in the future. Yeah, to your point, I love that Seth featured a lot of folks that maybe you wouldn't have have picked to tell the story. Right. Um, one of the ones I was most excited about was Aaron Davis. He's very prominently featured in the book. Lots of quotes, lots of stories from Aaron. Uh, we obviously love Aaron, had him on the show. And I mean, gosh, just a world class guy. And so it was great getting his perspective. I've also loved getting Davin Bellamy's perspective. Uh, Davin is featured throughout the book and I, I think gives some phenomenal insight throughout the book as it pertains to not just the 17 season, but the build towards that and kind of gives you 
you know, a bird's eye view of what things were like uh, in Athens during the transition between coach Rick and coach smart. Um, the other part is, you know, we're both comic guys, both like love comics, love comic stories. And uh, you know, I love a good origin story. Right. And I feel like Seth does a really, really good job of painting Kirby smarts path to being the head coach at Georgia. You know, he says in the interview, it's not a book about Kirby Smart. And he's right, it's not. There's a lot of tangential information. But if you're picking who the protagonist of the book is, it's Kirby, right? And Or, or maybe maybe he's co-stars with Georgia football. Maybe, it's, maybe that's a better way to put it. But it is a great, I think, foundation lay of Kirby's playing career, where he came from, who he is, what drives him. Uh, and what has led him to build what he's building in Athens at the University of Georgia. So a uh, phenomenal book, cannot recommend it enough. I mean, no big surprise here, right? Seth's a great writer, does a phenomenal job of illustrating what is going on in Athens. You know, I feel like the job of somebody who covers the program is to make folks that love the team and follow the team feel like they're inside, right? That they're they're right there with the team. And Seth does that as good as anybody in the country, in my opinion. So, um, yeah, support Seth every way you can, guys. So go follow him on Twitter, Seth at Seth W. Emerson. Go buy Attack the Day. Again, you can get it at uh, on Amazon, on all your online retailers, at any brick-and-mortar store. If you can, go and support your local bookstore. See if they have it. I uh, always want to support local business, especially in times like these. Uh, and we'll post links in the show notes to, to all the places that you can get it. Uh, but thank you again to Seth for coming on. And go dogs. Sick them. Go dogs. Hey, George is better now. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.